Part six of the Talking Thrush and Other Tales from India, retold by W. H. D. Rouse. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part six: The Parrot and the Parson, the Lion and the Hare, the Monkey's Bargains, the Monkey's Rebuke, the Bull and the Bullfinch, the Swan and the Crow. The Parrot and the Parson. There was once a banker who taught his parrot the speech of men the parrot made such progress that he was soon able to take part in any conversation and he astonished every one by his intelligence one day a parson came by the parrot my respects to your reverence said the parrot the parson looked all around him he looked down at his feet he looked up into the sky but no one could he see who might have spoken to him he could not make it out he thought it must have been a ghost then the parrot spoke again it was i who saluted you said he the parrot was close to the parson's ear and now at length the parson saw him and the parrot went on oh reverend sir you teach men how to get free from the chains of their sins may it please you to tell me how to escape from this cage this was a practical question but the parson's advice was not usually asked on such points he did not know what to say i fear i can be of no use to you said he but i will consult my solicitor the parson went to see his solicitor and paid him six and eight pence he might have bought the parrot cage and all for half that but as i said he was not a practical man when he told the solicitor what business he came about the solicitor said nothing at all but fell down in a faint what can i have said to make him faint the parson thought perhaps it is the hot weather he poured water over the solicitor's face and by and by the solicitor came too the parson was much distressed at having thrown away six and eightpence but he knew it would be of no use asking the solicitor to give any of it back so he did not try he went back to the parrot and said dearly beloved bird i much regret having no information to give you which may be of use the fact is no sooner did i put your question to my worthy solicitor than he fell down in a dead faint oh said the parrot many thanks parson the parson went away to the parish meeting when he had gone the parrot stretched himself out on the bottom of his cage and shut his eyes and cocked up his feet in the air by and by the banker came in and saw his parrot lying on his back with his feet pointing to the sky poor paul said he you're dead my pretty paul he opened the door of the cage and took out the bird and laid him on the ground immediately the parrot opened his wings and flew away the lion and the hare once upon a time there was a lion who used daily to devour one of the beasts of the forest they had to come up one after another when called for at last it came the hare's turn to be eaten and he did not want to be eaten at all he lingered and he dallied and when at last he plucked up courage to come he was very late the lion when he saw the hare coming bounded towards him the hare said uncle lion i know i am late and you have cause to be angry but really it is not my fault there is another lion in our part of the jungle and he says that he is master and you are nobody in fact when i showed him that i positively would come to you he was very angry ha said the lion roaring who says he is my master show him to me i'll teach him who rules the forest come along then said the hare they went a long way until they came to a well the hare looked down into the well he was here just now said he 
The lion looked in, and at the bottom he saw what looked like a lion in the water. He shook his mane, the other lion shook his mane, he roared, the echo of a roar came up from the bottom of the well. "'Let me get at him!' roared the lion. In he jumped, splash! Nothing more was ever heard of that lion, and the beasts of the forest were glad to be left in peace. They put their heads together and composed a verse of poetry which is always sung in that forest on Sundays. The hare is small, but by his wit he now has got the best of it. By folly down the lion fell, and lost his life within the well. THE MONKEY'S BARGAINS Once upon a time an old woman was cooking, and she ran short of fuel. She was so anxious to keep up her fire that she tore out the hairs of her head and threw them upon the flame instead of fuel. A monkey came capering by and saw the old woman at her fire. "'Old woman,' said the monkey, "'why are you burning your hair? Do you want to be bald?' "'Oh, monkey,' quoth the old woman, "'I have no fuel, and my fire will go out.' "'Shall I get you some fuel, mother?' said the monkey. "'That's like your kind heart,' said the old woman. "'Do get me some fuel, and receive an old woman's blessing.' The monkey scampered away to the woods and brought back a large bundle of sticks. The old woman piled the dry sticks on the fire and made a fine blaze. She put on her cooking plank and made four cakes. All this while the monkey sat on his tail and watched her. But when the cakes were done and gave forth a delightful odor, the monkey got up on his hind legs and began dancing and cutting all manner of capers round about the cakes. "'Oh, monkey,' said the old woman, "'why do you caper and dance around my cakes?' "'I gave you fuel,' said the monkey, "'and won't you give me a cake?' It seems to me that she might have thought of that without being asked, but she did not, so the monkey had to ask for it. Well, the old woman gave the monkey one cake, and the monkey took his cake in high glee and capered away. On the way he passed by the house of a potter, and at the door of the potter's house sat the potter's son, crying his eyes out. "'What is the matter, little boy?' asked the monkey. "'I'm very hungry,' whimpered the potter's son, "'and I have nothing to eat.' "'Will a cake be of any use?' asked the kind monkey. The potter's little boy stretched out his hand, and into his hand the monkey put his cake. Then the little boy stopped crying and ate the cake, but he forgot to say thank you. Perhaps he had never been taught manners, but the monkey felt sad, because that was not the kind of thing he was used to. The potter's little boy then went into the shop and brought out four little earthenware pots and began to play with them. He took no more notice of the monkey now that he had eaten his cake, but when the monkey saw these earthenware pots he began to dance and cut capers round them like mad. "'Why are you dancing round my pots?' asked the little boy. "'Are you going to break them, monkey?' The monkey replied, capering about all the while, one old woman in a fix made me go and gather sticks then she gave me for the sake of the fuel one sweet cake that sweet cake to you i gave in return one pot i crave the potter's little boy was very much afraid of this dancing and singing monkey and perhaps he was a little bit ashamed of his ingratitude so he gave the monkey one of his four pots away capered the monkey in high glee carrying his pot by and by he came to a place where there was a cowherd's wife making curds in a mortar. "'What an odd thing to do, Mrs. Cowherd,' said the monkey. "'Have you a fancy for making curds in a mortar?' "'No,' said the cowherd's wife, "'but I have nothing better to make my curds in.' 
"'Here's a pot which may do better than a mortar to make curds in,' said the monkey, offering the pot which he had received from the little boy. "'Thank you, kind Mr. Monkey,' said the cowherd's wife. She took the pot and made curds in it. She took out the curds from the pot and put them ready for eating, and some butter beside them. The monkey watched her sitting upon his tail. Then the monkey got up off his tail and began to dance and cut capers round the curds and the butter. "'Why are you dancing about my butter?' said the cowherd's wife. "'Do you want to spoil it?' Then the monkey began to sing as he capered about. "'One old woman in a fix made me go and gather sticks. Then she gave me for the sake of the fuel one sweet cake. Potter's son ate that, and he gave a pot instead to me, since to you I gave the pot. Give me butter, will you not?' The wife of the cowherd was much pleased with this song, as she was fond of music. "'If your kindness,' said she, "'had not already earned the butter, your pretty song would be worth it.' Then she gave him a good lump of butter. Off went the monkey in high glee, capering along with the lump of butter wrapped up in a leaf. As he went, he came to another place where a cowherd was grazing his kine. The cowherd was sitting down at that moment and enjoying his dinner, which consisted of a hunk of dry bread. "'Why do you eat dry bread, Mr. Cowherd?' asked the monkey. "'Are you fasting?' "'I am eating dry bread,' quoth the cowherd, "'because I have nothing to eat with it.' "'What do you say to this?' said the monkey, cutting a caper and offering to the cowherd his lump of butter, wrapped up in a leaf. "'Ah!' said the cowherd, "'prime!' Not another word, said he, but spread the butter upon his dry bread, and set to with much relish. The monkey sat on his tail and watched the cowherd eating his meal. When the meal was eaten, up jumped the monkey and began capering and dancing, hopping and skipping, round and round the herd of kine. Ah, said the bumpkin, what are you doing that for? The bumpkin was so ignorant that he thought the monkey wanted to bewitch his cattle and dry up all their milk. The monkey went on with his skips and capers, and as he capered he sang this ditty. One old woman in a fix made me go and get her sticks. Then she gave me for the sake of the fuel one sweet cake. Potter's son the sweet cake got, gave me in return one pot. Cow-wife had the pot, and she butter gave instead to me. This I gave to you just now. Will you give me, please, one cow?' "'Ah!' said the bumpkin. "'Spose I must.' He was afraid of the monkey's spells, and so he gave him a cow. Away capered the monkey, in high glee, leading his cow by a string. "'I am indeed getting on in the world,' said he. By and by, what should he see coming along the road but the king himself? The king was fastened to the shafts of a cart, which he was slowly dragging along, and jogging by the side of this cart was an ox, and upon the ox sat the queen this king had very simple tastes and so had the queen oh king said the monkey why are you dragging your cart with your own royal hands this is the reason o oh monkey said the king my ox died in the forest and i dragged the cart because this cart will not drag itself come sire said the monkey i don't like to see a king doing draught work take this cow of mine and welcome thank you good and faithful monkey said the king he mopped his brow and yoked in the cow. The monkey began to dance and caper, jump and skip, round the queen. "'What's the matter, worthy monkey?' asked the king. The monkey began his ditty. 
one old woman in a fix made me go and gather sticks then she gave me for the sake of the fuel one sweet cake potter's son the sweet cake got gave me in its place one pot cow-wife had the pot and she butter gave instead to me bumpkin ate the butter then paid me with his cow again keep the cow but don't be mean all i ask for is the queen this seemed reasonable enough so the king gave his queen to the monkey away went the monkey capering along and the queen walked after you see the king could not part with his ox as well as the queen by and by they came to a man sewing a button on to his shirt why man said the monkey why do you sew on your own buttons because my wife is dead said the man here is a nice wife for you said the monkey he gave the queen to the man the monkey then began his capers again but all he could find to caper about was a drum you may have that drum if you like said the man i only kept it because its voice reminded me of my wife and now i have another thank you thank you said the monkey now i am rich indeed then he began to beat upon the drum and sang one old woman in a fix made me go and gather sticks then she gave me for the sake of the fuel one sweet cake potter's son the sweet cake got gave me in its place one pot cow-wife had the pot and she butter gave instead to me bumpkin ate the butter then gave a cow to me again king took cow but was not mean for he paid me with a queen now i have a drum that's worth more than any drum on earth you are worth a queen my drum rub-a-dub-dub dum-dum-dum so the monkey capered away into the forest in high glee beating upon his drum and he has never been heard of since the monkey's rebuke in a certain village whose name i know but i think i will keep it to myself in this village i say there was once a milkman i dare say you know that a milkman is a man who sells milk but i have seen milkmen who also sell water that is to say they put water in the milk which they sell and so they get more money than they deserve this was the sort of milkman that my story tells of and he was worse than the more part of such tricksters since he actually filled his pans only half full of milk and the other half all water the people of that village were so simple and honest that they never dreamt their milkman was cheating them and if the milk did seem thin all they did was to shake their heads and say what a lot of water the cows do drink this hot weather by watering his milk this milkman got together a great deal of money ten pounds it was all in sixpence because the villagers always bought six pennyworth of milk a day when the milkman had got ten pounds that is to say no less than four hundred silver sixpences he thought he would go and try his tricks in another place where there were more people to be cheated so he put his four hundred silver sixpences in a bag and set out after travelling a while he came to a pond he sat down by the pond to eat his breakfast laying his bag of sixpences by his side and after breakfast he proceeded to wash his hands in the pond now it so happened that this was the very pond where the milkman came to water his milk he came all the way out of the village because he did not want to be seen by the people of the village but there was one who saw him and that was a monkey who lived in a tree which overhung the pond many a time and oft had this monkey seen the milkman pour water into the milk cans chuckling over the profit he was to make 
This was a very worthy and well-educated monkey, and he knew just as well as you or I know that if you sell milk you should put no water in it. When the man stooped down to wash his hands in the pond, quietly, quietly came down the monkey, swinging himself from branch to branch with his tail. Down he came to the ground and picked up the bag of sixpences, and then up again to his perch in the tree. The monkey untied the mouth of the bag and took out one sixpence and click dropped it into the pond. The milkman heard a tiny splash, but it did not trouble him, because he thought it was a nut or something that had fallen from the tree. Click! Another sixpence! Click! Went a third! By this time the milkman's hands were dry, and he looked round to pick up his bag and get him gone. But no bag! Click! Click! Went the sixpence all this while, and now the milkman began to look around him. Before long he espied the monkey sitting on a branch with his beloved bag, and, oh, horror, dropping sixpence, click, 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 one after another into the pond. "'I say, you monkey!' shouted he. "'That's my bag. What are you doing? Bring me back my bag.' "'Not yet,' said the monkey, and went on dropping the sixpences, click, click, click. The milkman wept. The milkman tore handfuls of hair out of his head, but the monkey might have been made of stone for all the notice he took of the milkman. At last the monkey had dropped two hundred sixpences into the pond. Then he tied up the mouth of the money-bag and threw it down to the milkman. "'There, take your money,' said the monkey. "'And where's the rest of my money?' asked the milkman, fuming with rage. "'You have all the money that is yours,' said the monkey. "'Half of the money was the price of water from this pond, so to the pond I gave it.' The milkman felt very much ashamed of himself, and went away, a sadder but a wiser man, and never again did he put water in his milk. And that is why I have not told you the name of the village where he lived, for now that he has turned over a new leaf it would hardly be fair to rake up his old misdeeds against him.' THE BULL AND THE BULLFINCH Under a certain tree lived a wild bull, and a bullfinch had his nest in the branches. A bull in a field is vicious enough, as I dare say you know, but a wild bull is worse than anything. Wild bulls are tremendously strong, and they can fight with almost any beast of the forest, even lions and tigers. This wild bull used to attack every creature that came near, and that not for the sake of food as lions and tigers do, but out of pure mischief. When the creature, were he man or beast, was killed, this wild bull would leave the corpse lying and begin to eat grass, but the little bullfinch harmed nobody, unless it were a worm he would eat now and again for a treat. All day long he hopped about, picking up seeds and singing away with all his throat. Many a time he saw the wild bull gore some creature to death, and when he saw such things tears would roll out of his eyes because he could do nothing to help. At last he thought to himself that he could at least warn the wild bull of his wickedness and clear his own conscience. So one morning when the wild bull was sitting under his tree and looking around him, Bullfinch piped up and said, "'Good brother Bull, I suppose we are akin somehow or other, because of our names.' "'Yes, I dare say it may be so, cousin Bullfinch,' said the Bull. "'Well,' says the Bullfinch, "'allow me the right of a near kinsman to say something to you.' "'All right, go ahead,' said the Bull, gruffly. 
well said the bullfinch clearing his throat for he was a little frightened don't you know that murder is a very evil deed and yet you do it every day of your life impertinent speck said the bull getting up and walking away he thought it cheeky that a bird so little would presume to rebuke a great big bull he did not remember you see that big bodies are often big fools and precious goods are done up in small parcels the warning of the little finch was as the blowing of the wind at least so it seemed at the time though afterwards as you shall hear the bull did remember it so the bull went on tossing and goring all that came within reach and now he would have nothing to say to the poor little bullfinch this went on until one night a certain lion had a dream this lion was king of the forest and he could conquer any creature who fought with him in his dream the lion thought that an angel stood before him and said o oh, lion in such a place under a tree lives a wild bull who does cruel murders every day upon innocent folk by that tree is good pasture and the wild bull has grown very fat i think he would make a nice meal for you and at the same time you would be doing a good action in ridding the world of such a monster when the day dawned the lion made no delay but set out at once towards the place of the wild bull by and by he caught scent of the bull and then he uttered a terrible roar the bull heard the roar and was afraid and still more feared he when he saw this lion approach whom he knew to be the king of the forest and invincible oh bull roared the lion your hour has come i am come to eat you as a just punishment for your sins and also because i'm hungry at this the bull trembled greatly for he knew now that his sins had found him out his knees gave way beneath him and he was just about to sink to the ground when the words of the bullfinch came into his mind then he said o oh, mighty lion i have indeed deserved to be eaten but i beg of you one last favour give me leave to bid farewell to a little kinsman of mine cousin bullfinch who lives in this tree and at this moment is picking up seeds not far off the lion was a good fellow and had no wish to be hard on the bull so he said i give leave o bull if you will promise on your honour to come back and be eaten the bull gave his word that he would come back and then he went slowly away in search of a bullfinch master bullfinch was at that moment eating his frugal breakfast of seeds suddenly he was aware that the wild bull was approaching he looked up and seeing the dejected air of the bull he greeted him as cheerfully as he could and then asked what the matter was this bullfinch bore no manner of grudge for the bull's rudeness because in his little body was a great heart and he never thought of mean things oh finchy finchy moaned the bull look upon me for the last time a hungry lion has come to devour me and it is of no use to resist for he says that an angel has sent him to punish me for my sins poor old chap said the bullfinch tell me all about it then the wild bull told him the dream which the lion had seen ah said the bullfinch that is curious why asked the bull because said the bullfinch i too had a dream last night which i think the lion ought to hear the wild bull was not interested in the bullfinch's dream would you be interested in dreams i wonder if you expected to be eaten the next minute 
However, he said nothing, and when Bullfinch fluttered his wings and flew away towards the Lion, our friend the wild Bull followed slowly behind. "'Good morning, King Lion,' said the little bird. "'So you have had a dream?' "'Yes,' said the Lion, and then he told the Bullfinch his dream. Well, "'I had a dream, too,' said the Bullfinch, and this it was. I dreamt that the same angel who came to you came afterwards to me and said, "'Oh, Bullfinch, when the Lion comes to eat your friend the Bull, tell him that he was sent not to destroy but to cure, and that now the Bull repents of his evil ways, the Lion may go back again to his forest.' oh i am so glad said the lion i am hungry it is true but i dare say i can find some other creature who has committed no sins and wants no curing so good-bye friend bull and don't do it again so saying the lion shook hands with both of them and went to look for a fawn then the bull wild no longer thanked his friend the bullfinch for saving his life and they became faster friends than ever the bull gored no more creatures indeed he welcomed them as his guests and in the fat pastures around that tree you might have seen if you had been there whole herds of deer and antelopes grazing without any fear and the bull lived in their midst to a green old age till he died respected and went to a happier world the swan and the crow once upon a time two swans had to leave home on account of a famine, and they settled by a lake in a distant land. By the side of this lake lived a carrion crow. The swans built a nest, and Mrs. Swan laid two beautiful round eggs in the nest and sat upon them. She had to sit on the eggs for weeks in order to keep them warm, so that the little ones might grow up inside and be hatched. While she sat there, the crow used to help Mr. Swan to find food for his wife, and when the Sinyets came out of their shells, the crow helped to feed them also. So all went happily for a time, and Mr. and Mrs. Swan were deeply grateful to the kind crow. But crows are not kind without some reason, and what this crow's reason was you shall now hear. Time went on, and one day Mr. Swan said to Mrs. Swan, "'My dear, the famine must be over by this time. What do you say? Shall we go home again?' "'I am ready,' Mrs. Swan said, "'and we can start to-morrow if you like.' "'Stop a bit,' says Mr. Crow. "'I have a word or two to say first. "'Why, what do you mean?' the Swan said, both together. "'I mean,' said the Crow, "'that you may go if you like, but these sinyets are as much mine as yours, and may I be plucked if I let them go with you?' yours said mrs swan who laid the eggs who hatched them and who fed them i should like to ask said the crow with a disagreeable laugh caw 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 here was a bolt from the blue the crow stuck to it and the end of it was that mrs swan stayed behind to look after her little ones while mr swan flew off to lay a complaint in court against the greedy crow but you must not suppose that this crow meant to sit still and let the swan have things all his own way. Not he. Off he flew secretly to the judge, and to the judge said he, O oh, judge, a swan is going to lodge a false charge against me, and I want your help. If it is false, said the judge, you want help from no one. Caw, 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 said the crow, you understand me. Then this vulgar crow winked one eye at the judge. Hmm, said the judge, looking at the crow, 
It is a pity to say it, but it is quite true that this judge was an unjust judge, and he was ready to give any decision, right or wrong, so long as he was bribed well for his trouble. In that country, you see, there was no jury to decide matters, but all power lay in the hands of the judge. The judge winked one eye at the crow, and then he said very softly, "'What will you give me?' silver and gold have i none said the crow but i'll tell you what i will do i'll carry your father's bones to the holy land and bury them in jerusalem and then your father will be sure to go to heaven the judge was so foolish that he really believed his father would go to heaven at once if only his bones were buried in jerusalem although his father had been as wicked as himself while he was alive so he agreed to the crow's proposal when the case came into court of course the judge gave decision in favour of the crow though there was no evidence on his side except his own word and who but a fool would trust the word of a carrion crow when the court rose the crow flew to the house of the judge and asked for the bones of the judge's father so the judge tied up his father's bones in a bag and hung the bag round the crow's neck away flew the crow but he didn't fly far for as the judge watched him, the crow hovered over a filthy drain, and untying the bag began dropping the bones one by one into the mud. "'Hey, you brute!' shouted the judge. "'What are you doing?' "'Oh, you pumpkin!' said the crow. "'Did you verily think I should take the trouble to carry your father's rotten old bones to Jerusalem?' "'No, no! I only wanted to see what rogues the race of judges can be. Caw!' Flop! went the last bone into the mud and away flew the crow, and never came back there any more. So the judge had to pick his father's bones out of the gutter, and the next thing he had to do was to reverse his own decision and give the swan his young ones again, because, you see, a great many people had heard what the crow said to the judge, and knew, if they didn't know it before, that the judge was a rogue. So the swan got his young ones back, and, as for the judge, he became the laughing-stock of the whole city, and he was obliged to go and try his tricks elsewhere. End of Part 6